thankful for? I'm thankful for so many things. Right now, I'm thankful that there's not a camera looking at me doing this show. Because I am chill and relaxed. It is a beautiful day. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here on News Talk 1110 99.3. WBT, you want to call in, get on the conversation because there's a lot to talk about. 704 570 1110. 704 570 1110. And so, yes, this is the weirdest week of the year, in my opinion. I mean, we have the kickoff to summer after Memorial Day, and, and it runs through Labor Day. We've kind of set these these kind of societal marks, you know. And then and then someone starts putting out Christmas stuff in late August, those delirious, mentally short folks. And then in September, a few more. But generally, it's fall, Halloween, and then it's genuinely kickoff through the end of the year. And then we have winter, you know, and Martin Luther King Day and New Year's Eve and all that stuff. And then heading into Groundhog Day and into in the spring. And we just complete this cycle around the sun another time. However, this is a weird week. Because a lot of folks aren't quite back at work. The folks that are at work are not quite at work, <laughs> even though they're there. And th- there's this hybridized view of the world right now. Not a lot of political intrigue. There's a lot still going on. But the new, even the news cycle is different. You look at the news stories they're covering. Uh, progressively more look back. Hey, here's what happened in 22. Here's what's going to happen in 23. Here are the challenges of 23. Here was what we overcame in 22. Here's who died. So it's, it's one of those weird weeks. But I'm, I'm thinking, because I wanted to start the show with the concept of, of freedom. Not, you know, the freedom to go walk your dog on the street, but it's more the general, the general notion of freedom, free markets, capitalism, blah, 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 et cetera. It sounds boring. It's not. And here's what set me off. I'm making a nice cup of, that could be coffee, but in this instance, it was chai. I go to my Keurig. Yes, I have a Keurig. I think most of America does by this point or a, a thousand other offbeat things. But I'm, I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, if government had been designed the Keurig coffee maker, what would it look like? You know, it would probably not work half the time. Uh, the, the the book with the how to put it together or how to work it would not make sense. It would probably be written backwards rather than forwards. It, it would be convoluted. It would cost 10 times as much. And due to the bureaucracy that it took to make it, it probably, I don't even know what it would look like. It would probably be about five times the size that it is. I say that because you go to your Keurig, you pop your cup in, or if you're just mixing something, it's just running hot water through it. It's kind of an amazing device. Simple, not complicated. It has some mechanism that that allows it to push water at a certain time that delineates its eight ounces or 10 ounces. And then the new ones do even more newfangled and cool stuff. And it's reasonably priced, not that expensive. That's the nature of free enterprise, isn't it? it? It finds a better way to do something. And the Keurig will be outdated, and we'll look back and go, remember when you did a Keurig? And the kids of today will tell their, their kids and their grandkids, I bet you couldn't operate this. I'm surprised the environmental left hasn't lost their ever-loving minds and gone bananas over the, the, the K-cups. They probably have in some obtuse way, but they still use them. You know, a lot of people that can sit there and preach to you about global warming and climate change will be handing you a cup of coffee out of their Keurig when you're visiting them. It's just funny to me, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, no, you know, I'm just not going to say anything. That plastic and that Keurig, know where it comes from? No, don't want to say it. Don't do it, Chad. You know, when they're in their refrigerator and they've got that 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 rubber strip around, and I'm like, you know where that? No, don't want to say that, Chad. They they don't need to know where all that comes from. It'll just mess with their minds. But that takes me to the the, the next level, which is the 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 catchphrase that everyone wants you to 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 accept is the notion of compromise. 
and bipartisanship. They need to compromise it. We need to have bi- we're so thrilled when there's a bipartisanship agreement on this $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. It's bipartisan because Mitch McConnell and a couple of hoorangies got out there and decided, hey, we're going to get together with these Dems. We're going to pass. We're going to get a lot of what we want. They're going to get a lot of what they want, and we'll pass it. It'll be wonderful. And they need to shove it through because when the Republicans take over in no, uh, January, it's likely not would not have passed. But here's the problem with that. And let, let's talk about this for a minute. There's a reason why we don't have a balanced budget agreement in D.C. I mentioned it yesterday. There's a reason why, no matter who's in charge, it's still a spending problem. And that is because I've always said in speeches I've given over the years that we, we the American people, are on a train track. We're on a train together. We're both the people building the tracks. We are the people sending folks to run the engine room, and we're sitting in the train as we're cruising along. We're responsible for all of it. And we know, you, me, they, we all know that somewhere up ahead, there's a fiscal cliff. We don't know how far away it is. We know it's there because we can look at $31 trillion and go, that's not free money. Somebody owes it. We owe it. Oh, that's us. But there's a fiscal cliff. But the 70 and 80, the uh, centenarians, octogenarians that are up there running the show, it's not going to affect them. They're going to be long gone at some point. We're running this, and the difference between Republicans and Democrats in D.C. is is not that complicated. If you look at it in terms of the analogy I just provided, the people driving the train, let's just say that we install them. We install Democrats driving the train, and we install Republicans driving the train. The Democrats put the pedal to the they – just, they just put it full steam ahead, and they're going to toward that cliff faster. They're not altering course. They're not trying to tell us to build the track in a different direction. They are simply – Full speed ahead. When the Republicans are put in charge of running the train, they just still go ahead. They don't alter the course. They just slow the train down a little bit. And that's the major problem that's confronting us looking ahead. It's, I mean, we have China. We have plenty of global threats. We have a southern border problem. We have economic headwinds. We have bad policy. We have an IRS problem. We have a tax problem. We have all these other issues. But no one, no one, can tell us that that fiscal cliff isn't a problem. So it sounds a little heady, sounds a little deep, but let's take it a step. In fact, we'll stick with that because I want to get to the notion of of compromise and why compromise isn't always a good thing. And I'll tell you this now, if you're married, compromise is the key to you staying together. If you're in a successful relationship of some some type, there, there comes a point where it's not necessarily compromise, you just give up, right? Not only you know, your wife is capable of accusing you of things that not only you didn't do, but you weren't even mentally capable of thinking them up. You've probably heard that before. But the, the issue is, and I'm, I'm trying to be facetious and funny here, but the truth of the matter is, regardless of the type of relationship you're in, it is based on compromise. You give up some things, they give up some things. Otherwise, you're sleeping in separate houses. It's very expensive to go through the court system. So that's where compromise is very effective. You find a way, but you're moving the ball forward in general. When compromise happens in D.C., it isn't necessarily moving the ball forward. And I'll explain to you why when we get on the other side of the break. But because it's really important to understand when you hear stories about they reached a bipartisan agreement or they reached a compromise. And understanding that in terms of politics is very different than in terms of your relationship. Vastly different, vastly different outcomes. And, And it always goes in one direction. Any kind of political compromise in D.C., and a lot of times in your state house is one 
particular direction. Fine young cannibals. Throwing some 80s tunes down there. Good stuff. Thank you, Burn. Chad Adams, your guest host, sitting in for Pete Callender here at WBT News Talk 1110993. You want to get in on the conversation? 704 570 Go to the front of the line, talk to the host, tell us what's on your mind. Now, I was, uh, interestingly enough, uh, was, was as we went to the break, I was talking about the notion of freedom and compromise. How it's good in a marriage, it's good in a relationship. It's not good with your kids, is it? If your kids wanted to go out and stay out till three in the morning and they were, you know, 15 years old, there would be some degree of pushback from you as a parent. It's not a compromise, is it? <laughs> you don't compromise. No, you're not going to do that. You just say no or yes. But here's the con- here's where it's problematic politically. And that is if you exist in a state of freedom, and I don't mean like Florida, North Carolina, Texas. I'm saying if your state of being is free, if you have the ability to Take your dog out. You can walk. You can uh, drive your car. And I want to compromise with you by taking away some of your freedom, taking away something from you, or taking something from you. And and I say, hey, just compromise with me. You wouldn't do that because it's a no. There's no. Con- you're just giving up something. You're not necessarily getting anything in return. And so when you see these bipartisan deals. That there, it's always an erosion of freedom, an increase in bureaucracy, and an increase in cost. It isn't a restoration of freedom. Now, Democrats would would say on the abortion issue, the Republicans are trying to take away that freedom, but really kicking it back to the states—that's a states issue, where it should have been all along. But at the federal level, it's about taking away freedom, and all of these discussions and debates and compromises are in some way putting the foot in the door to push you away from some kind of freedom. Your entire tax code, if you want to look at proof of this concept, look at the U.S. tax code, over 4,000 pages in length. It is, it is an, an homage. It is, a, it is a tribute to the power of lobbyists in D.C. because the entire tax code is a, a, a handshake and a nod to some group that wanted to be carved out in some way. It's not pure, it's not simple, it's not straightforward, it's not logical, but that's what it is. And neither party has had the wherewithal to say enough. There are individuals that do it, but they never can get enough votes to say, we need to scrap this entire tax code. It's done. It's had its day. But imagine this, if we don't, as weird as our tax code is now, 4,000 plus pages, imagine if, if, if 20, 30, 40 years from now what it looks like for your kids and your grandkids. It'll be much worse much more complex. And that's the critical problem with all of this kumbaya, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it, cisgender, <laughs> with compromise in D.C. It's, it's not about compromise. It's an erosion of freedom no matter what, because they, the, the left, the political left, the progressive left, wants to take away more freedom and add more government to every layer of your life whether it's education, whether it's the environment, whether it's uh, your, your industry, your, your company, your, your family life, whatever it is, there's an erosion of freedom taking place every day. This is a good week to reflect upon that. And, and if you want to look at another vivid example of this, and we're going to get into some of these stories in a little while, because like restaurants, what, what does it look like now at restaurants? What's another $1.7 trillion out there? What are the critiques of the CDC that we're allowed to do? 
Those are things, I mean, the restaurant industry is forever changed as a result of the pandemic. But it really wasn't the pandemic, was it? It was the lockdowns and the government stripping away your freedoms under the auspices of public safety. We were stripping away everything about your life in order to make you safe, make you feel better. And ultimately, I don't think there's any necessarily proof that it did any good at all. Certainly our kids are worse off. Um, People still died. People with compromised immune systems still were affected. I think it ran through the population regardless. Those lockdowns, the masking. And when you see people, I mean, when you got to the store through Christmas and all this, didn't you see and don't you still see there's this, the people. Now, I get it with some some folks. You can probably tell there's a reason they're wearing a mask. But when you see a perfectly healthy 26-year-old in a store, it was rather bizarre. And, and you still see them. There's there's small, a number of them left, but they're still out there. And it's this COVIDian belief structure that they've been been forced to have. And when their freedoms were all taken away, and that's the problem, it kind of goes back to, I hate to say it, but it comes back to those Nuremberg trials. When they were interviewing people that just followed the rules, why did you hit the button on the gas chamber? Because someone in authority told me to, and I did. And that alleviated them of the responsibility of what took place after that moment. It alleviated, in their minds, they didn't do those horrible atrocities. Someone told them to. And so in, in a society like our in our nation is very unique in, in a variety of ways, mainly because for the past 200 plus years, it has attracted a large population of people who wanted to change their circumstances. So at the genetic level, we're entrepreneurs by nature. We are uh, more so than any nation on the planet. We are people that tend to push back on authority. We don't like being told what to do. But somehow over the past 50 years, we've lost a lot of that oomph. We've lost a lot of that unique American nature that doesn't like to trust government. And somehow we allowed ourselves to be taken in by, by organizations we trusted. We, for the past two years, we, we trusted our FBI. Now we find the leadership was lying to us. We trusted our CIA. Well, we hadn't always trusted the CIA. The spooks up there have done all sorts of stuff, but now it's the FBI too. Now it's the CDC and the world health organization. We don't trust these organizations as much. Why? Did they willfully lie to us? Did they willfully mislead us? We know they did something. We know that because of the Twitter files, we also know because of the mistakes that were made, we know that there's a lack of honesty with the American public. And we know when there's an overwhelming desire to suppress information, that's when you have to worry. So you may disagree. You may have to say, oh, you're spreading misinformation out there. Well, fine. But when you undermine your own stuff by telling us to do things that are not backed by any kind of scientific inquiry or means testing, you actually have done worse. You've led me to believe that what you're doing is absolutely without any misinformation, and it was riddled with it. It's entirely riddled with it. Here's the only hope we have is over the next few years that we actually look back and look at the mistakes that we made and make it better, that we look at the mistakes that government agencies made, make it better. We look at the mistakes that the leaders of our agencies have made from the Russian collusion, Russian disinformation, the Steele dossier, the 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 Covidian policies, all of what you've done to the kids. And there needs to be some kind of accountability for it, not just Cuomo in New York being removed from office after subjecting thousands of elderly to a death sentence in the way he treated them in the rest homes while still locking down New York and not protecting the elderly. I mean, just all sorts of crazy stuff that was done. And we'll, again, we'll get into some of that detail after the break. We'll, we will certainly do that. Um, 
because there's a lot to discuss, and we appreciate you being a part of the broadcast. I also want to say WBT welcomes the Light the Nights Festival, where you can make merry memories at Truist Field now through January 6th. There's an ice skating rink. There's snow tubing hill, a, a big one, 150-foot-long snow tubing hill. Plus, enjoy light shows, live entertainment, holiday treats, Christmas trees, shopping, Santa, and more. Brought to you in part by Piedmont Natural Gas. Please share the warmth and be a part of that. Go have fun. Lots of fun things to do in Charlotte. That's just one of them, and you should get out and be a part of that. Right now, we're going to take a break. So I'm perplexed. I stand at the foot of perplexity looking upon what decision to make now. Because I just discovered the nutty story of the day. So I have plenty to discuss. But then what rolls across in my perusal as I'm as I'm looking at things, I see the nutty story of the day. And, and it's and it's posited. I thought I was reading the Babylon Bee. For those of you unfamiliar, Babylon Bee, great. Great parody account, probably the best, best in the country, uh, better than the onion. But this one, this one knocked my socks. In fact, I don't, I don't even have it on my phone, not even on my computer because of where it came across. It's just, you, you know, you read stuff and you're like, wait a minute, there's no way that someone actually wrote this. But uh, but it is, it's, it's, an, it's a legitimate story, but that doesn't mean it's true. But I'm going to go through it. So this is from The Independent. So that's a, a British a way of looking at things, but it's a true story. It's just not factually correct. I think the person who uttered the following version of reality has taken leave of his senses. So there, Ukraine News Live, Putin ally predicts a war, but I'm not even going to read the headline. I'm just going to read through this because it's nutty. Former Russian President Dmitry Med- Medvedev has predicted war between Germany and France next year and a civil conflict in the United States that would lead to Elon Musk becoming president. Now, don't you feel like you're in a bad episode of The Simpsons right now? In his list of outlandish predictions for 2023 published on his personal Telegram and Twitter accounts, he also foresaw Britain rejoining the EU, which in turn would collapse. Mr. Medeev, uh, deputy head of Mr. Putin's Advisory Security Council, served as president during a four-year spell when Putin was prime minister. The bizarre thread captured the attention of Twitter CEO Elon Musk, who responded to Vladimir Putin's ally by calling his geopolitical forecasting epic. It comes after Putin has met with his closest international ally, Alexander Lushenko, twice in the past 24 hours in meetings at which the Belarusian president said many issues were finalized. There are fears that Belarus could be dragged actively into the war in Ukraine after Putin used it as a staging ground for his invasion in February. So there you go. A civil war in the United States that leads to Elon Musk becoming president, Germany and France going to war, dogs and cats dating. It's outrageous. Just thought it would be wildly, mildly entertaining on a day like this. It's slow news day, because otherwise that would be just in the dustbin of, I can't believe he said it. There's no way I'm going to give it time. Uh, But it was kind of funny. So I just wanted to pass it along to you folks. Now, we talked about, you know, what to do with the CDC, what to do with everything that's happened out there. You have to wonder, um, how do we, how do we, because the past hasn't given us any indication that we have an, a desire to fix problems. We, we, we've talked about the attention span of folks, and, and, and a t- our attention span is so short now that things that should be very, very important, that should stand the test of time, that we should be pushing back from, that, should out, that would have outraged Americans 50 years ago, we kind of roll our eyes and go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. But it's, 
and we accept it. We we consider things acceptable today that Americans in previous generations never would have. If agencies, well, I guess you could say some agencies in our U.S. government. I mean, now some of the revelations about the CIA and the connection to Kennedy's stuff make conspiracy theorists go nuts right now. But here's one from the Hill, and this has to do with our desire to know things. It now seems certain that the omnibus appropriations bill will not authorize a COVID commission. For over two years, members of Congress have proposed a national body to draw lessons from the nation's experience with COVID to inform future decision makers on how to better handle the next pandemic. So how do you how do you learn from the past if you don't learn from the past? If you have no desire to learn from the past, how do you go to the future? Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer, Democrat from New York, and President Biden never demonstrated enthusiasm for the idea. One reason is that previous national commissions have examined events like the financial crisis of 2009 that are settled in history. COVID rages on. President Biden may also worry that a credible bipartisan report, like the one proposed by Senate Major- uh, Senate Senators Patty Murray, Democrat of Washington, Richard Burr of New York, could be damning to the CDC, an agency to which he has promised a 21% budget increase next year. Did you know that? Did you know the CDC, the famous CDC, whose back-asswards way of dealing with this entire pandemic and the way in which it deal with treatments and testing and masking and convoluted stuff are proposing to get a 21% raise next year? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine taking your car to a mechanic and he returns it with three tires instead of four and no oil in the engine and maybe put water in your fuel tank and then he wants a 21% raise or she? Of course you wouldn't. You can't even imagine that. It's like a a great work of fiction. Despite being in the spotlight, the CDC has yet to demonstrate any improvement in stopping recurring waves of COVID, nor has it generated confidence that it can prevent either monkeypox or RSV. Worse, there is concern that MRA, and this this is crucial, this is a news piece. If so, um, there is concern that the mRNA vaccines may be tied to fatal adverse effects. If so, the question of why the Food and Drug Administration and the CDC did not require randomized clinical trials for the most recent COVID boosters to establish safety. That'll be hard to avoid. Thankfully, an extraordinary effort by Senator Gary Peters, a Democrat of Michigan who chairs the Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs, may have provided the nation with the next best thing to a commission report. Last week, committee staff delivered a remarkably, ah, boy, it sounded like it couldn't speak there. A remarkably comprehensive report, 242 pages long, on the government's response to COVID. Its title gives up the game historically unprepared. Unlike previous reports by the Commonwealth Fund and the National Academies of Science, which studiously avoided criticisms of the CDC, Peter's report offers lawyerly findings of fact that points out that the CDC was not remotely prepared to manage an epidemic that its own experts said was inevitable. So, in other words, the organization knew we were going to be facing something like this. We have faced them in the past. Numerous times in U.S. history, we faced pandemics. This CDC, in the most advanced time, at the most advanced scientific day, was unprepared. Didn't know what to do, even though they've been told and they knew. And anybody who read Richard Preston's Hot Zone back in the 90s knew it was coming. We knew that it was going. It was just a matter of when. And we were not prepared. Peter's report tells that the CDC had no pre-existing research relevant to developing a COVID test, no stockpile of PPE supplies, or plan for distributing them, was uninformed regarding supply chain issues related to therapeutic drugs, and had no sense of the nation's hospital's capacity to treat COVID victims. Further. It resisted help from private sector laboratories to develop testing. 
the simplest epidemiological reasoning about Americans at most risk, thinking that guided Britain's focus on first protecting those over 65 with relevant comorbidities was missing in the CDC's thinking. This is coming from a Democrat, mind you. Peters, a Democrat, is hard on President Trump. The president's daily commentary offered little comfort and more than once, unless even more than once useless, even dangerous advice. Consider, however, the president was bound to rely on the CDC, an agency that consistently failed to provide the then president or the public with timely or accurate advice on the nature of the virus or steps that might contain its spread. Fauci, the government's official spokesperson, promoted a constantly changing list of largely ineffective actions. Sanitizing grocery carts did not slow COVID spread, and some studies say social distancing Distancing didn't help, and masking with up to three masks might not have either. Overall, the committee report is a model of what a competent governmental investigation should look like. The staff examined over 70,000 pages of material, recording how the government responded to the crisis. It also conducted 90 interviews, many of the professionals who had relevant knowledge of agency operations. So the point, again, why you, me, our kids, our parents, we deserve to know what our government did wrong. Now, not only because we want to castigate them for what they did, and they deserve to be castigated, but but more importantly, so that no matter who's running that agency, they're prepared, or at least looking ahead to say, okay, here's what we would do if we had it to do all over again, and unfortunately they will, what does that look like? What does it look like if this happens again? And it will. We know it will. It's the nature of pathogens. They find a way. They find a way. Oh, the week before New Year's, slowing down on Van Halen. Ah, when Van Halen went mainstream. 1984? Uh, that was Jump, I think the album. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here at WBT. You want to get in on the conversation at 704-570-1110. You move to the front of the line. Now, I was talking about, it's an interesting, I'm going to use the word collusion for lack of peace here. Eh, collusion is probably the wrong word. There's an interesting c- connection. Maybe that's a simpler word, much more third grade. There's an interesting connection between what we saw, what we're seeing happen with with Trump, with the the, the COVID reaction, the way Biden was, was, anything negative to Biden was pushed aside, anything against Trump was was exaggerated anything doing with covid was 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 streamlined into one way this kind of group speak uh orwellian way of of propagandizing what should be done and now thanks to the exposure of the twitter files we see a lot of this we see the hand in glove fit between many of the big tech world and those in government positions of power with no real elected oh no civilian oversight and they acted in unison. That and I, and I know you're like Chad. You're, you sound like a dead. You're beating a dead horse here. But but the the nature of that is alarming. And and here's the the good news is I people are well waking up is the wrong word. But they're starting to ask the difficult questions. They're starting to say what did you do? Why did you do it? When did you do it? And more curious minds are out there. People now it's completely known the Biden administration and. Carrie Jean-Pierre can sit there and, and try to act like it doesn't exist, but between the border 
and their ignorance or their their absolute denial of the Hunter Biden situation, they are a compromised administration. They're completely and utterly compromised. And the wing nuttiness of Kamala Harris bloviating to no end about nothing. I mean, I, I, I one of the jokes I had before the show today was I was telling them, I said, hey, I ought to do an entire show acting like the vice president, acting like the, the entirety of the incompetency that is that and just surround myself by surrounding myself to talk about surrounding myself and talking about things just to be talking about them so we can talk about them together and be together while being together and talking about it, listening and being together. We could have done that and done this circular logic the whole the whole way around. But what did Twitter do? And we've got to look at this. Brownstone Institute has been critical of the committee and policies throughout the pandemic. They were largely throttled. They were uh, shut down in many ways. They were laughed at. They were they were made fun of. And, and the president of that organization came out with a good column today that ties into everything else we've been talking about, about the lack of freedoms and about what, what we've had to be up against. From the beginning of the COVID pandemic, he, it felt like something was very wrong. Never had a pandemic, much less a seasonal pathogenic wave, been treated as a quasi-military emergency requiring the upending of all freedoms and rights. What made it more bizarre was how alone those of us who objected felt until very recently when Musk finally brought the platform Twitter, bought it, fixed, fired all the embedded federal agents, and has started to release the files. As Elon said, every conspiracy theory about Twitter was true, and then some. And what applies at Twitter pertains equally to Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and all platforms associated with those companies, YouTube, Instagram, Messenger, WhatsApp. The proof's all there. These platforms colluded with the federal government's administrative arm to craft a particular COVID narrative, throttling and censoring dissidents and boosting any credentialed expert who was willing to toe the line. How many of you felt like that's exactly what was going on the entire time? How many of you were kind of shamed and, and, and acted like you were third-class citizens in the country that believed in freedom and you still believed in it while you were being shunned by a narrative from the political left, from the CDC, or from government officials? Or all three. At this point, it's wise to – this is the hard part. At this point, it is wise to trust no one and nothing but those who fought against this nonsense. As the crisis began – he writes, I was blessed with an unusually large reach on most platforms because they've built it up for years. The Brownstone Institute's done so many studies or think tank. But I sat by and watched it dwindle to nothingness as the months went on. Yes, I had post pulled, but I was never banned. It's just that my channels of communication shrunk dramatically by the months and weeks. Similar things happened to me. I'm sure they happened to Pete Callen. And they sure they happened to other people at WBT where certain things you would post would get a tag. This has been very uh, independent fact checkers. And they were wrong. They weren't independent fact checkers. They weren't checking facts. They were checking messaging. Back to the column. It's tragic because I watched the populations gradually fall into a medieval-style diseased panic that tore families apart, kept loved ones from traveling, wrecked businesses and churches, and even violated the sanctity of their homes. The invisible enemy about which everyone in government was going on about shredded the entire whole social fabric. He'd been writing about pandemics and interventions for 16 years. He had been warning repeatedly that all of this was possible. Knowing about this history and having a platform to speak, the author writes, I felt a very strong obligation, a moral obligation, if you will, to share the knowledge, if only to make some contribution to calm people down and perhaps relax some of the impositions on liberty. But at that very moment, he says, his voice was nearly silenced, and he was hardly alone. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of folks were in the same position but had a very difficult time finding each other. Because what they did was they would they would start throttling you, and this is me talking, 
they would start throttling people who diverged on opinions other than the narrative. In other words, whether you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever you were, if you were trying to tell people, hey, calm down, let's take another look at this. Let's look at what the CDC is saying. Let's look at this mask stuff. Look at the box. On the box, it says these masks don't work. If you had those kind of opinions, you were shut down. Or at least you say, well, you can't print this. Facebook would get you. Twitter would get you. LinkedIn would get you. No matter what. Now, think, take that into any avenue of American life and say, what did we? What the other side learned was we can take your freedoms away and do it with, without remorse, as Governor Cooper did in this state, and locked down our entire state. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Now, there's more to this, and I want to get to more of this, but I want to, I want us to go through it in detail, and I want you guys to be a part of it. Think about it when you're driving around, you got kids. Think about how easy the freedoms can be taken away. Now, Michael, I want you to stay with me through this because we do have to take a quick break, and I, I do want to talk about the CDC, so please, Mike, do stay with us through the break as we come back. But but it, it affects your kids. It affects you. It affects everything about moving this country forward, and now is the time to stand our ground. Much more to go here on the Pete Callender Show. Chad Adams, your guest host, will be back after this. Starting second hour, we'll be back. We'll be back. 